Hello and welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod. Just a very, very quick disclaimer before this episode starts. Some of the audio quality is not great on this episode. Right now I'm recording to my phone even because I'm editing on the move. But Chris's microphone keeps dipping out lots and this seems to be an issue with Discord and the recording setup that Chris had at the time. So you're going to hear little dips of sound quality and some voices explaining what was cut and why. Still, thank you for your persistence and enjoy the episode. Hello, welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod. This time, Chris is back. Last time I was speaking to Ben Osborne, but this time he's back to cause trouble. Chris, how are you doing? <laughs> Make a double. Is that Team Rocket? I do know. I don't know. Uh, double trouble? Oh, from Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Jesus. We have started off with a right boomer reference there. Like, <laughs> oh, no. Pokemon, well. Pokemon's still going strong, bro. They announced. Is this relevant? Yeah, dude. They announced like the, the next generation already. Jesus Christ, how many Pokemon are there these days? I think about 700 or so. But they... they 898. All right. <laughs> like, I, I haven't played a Pokemon game in quite a while, but a couple of friends of mine bought the new... What's it called? One the uh, Pokemon Legends, I think. Ar- Arceus or something like that. And that's the first time um, it has been turned into an open-world game where you, uh-huh. where you're actually the one hiding in tall grass to to uh, to surprise Pokemon and not the other way around, and I think when the new generation of of regular games come out, uh, they like they combine these uh, things with each other. So you have the regular Pokemon game, but this time like an open world actually. So what Pokemon oh, cool. players have been wanting for twenty five years. That's cool. Yeah, looks pretty neat. All- I haven't played a Pokemon game since probably, was it Gold and Silver? Oh, those were the time best. Or something like that. Or, yeah, and there was Red, Yellow and Blue, yeah. and then I played them. And then there was Gold and Silver, and I think I stopped. Yeah, yeah, um, me too. All I remember is is um, the like soundtrack is hardwired into my mm. brain from like various towns you would go to, or when it like goes, yeah. when something like comes up and you fight them. Stuff like that. It's hardwired into my head. We're going to talk about computer game soundtracks later, but Pokemon isn't today. We'll talk about some other 8-bit delights. Well, no, they're not. We're going to have to talk about fully fleshed soundtracks today on 8-bit one. At least 16 bits. At least. We're also going to talk about what we've been listening to and a little bit of what we've been up to musically. And then we're going to take a little drum sounds. Explain a little bit what what that that segment's going to be about. Yeah, so we started working on our new album and we have recorded drums. And I thought it would be interesting because we often talk about like music production and drum sounds. And whenever we listen to something, we, uh, us nerds are like, oh man, listen to that snare, bro. And that can't be like, that's a sample, huh? So for all the maybe non-recording musicians who are listening today, we'll, we'll take we'll take a, a like a small deep dive into drum production and how it sounds really rough, just 
how the actual recording sounds and then how it sounds with a bit of processing and then with even more processing. So going from there to there. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And then we're going to do the uh, 8-Bit Wonderland, talk about a couple of soundtracks, and we'll do the Desert Island playlist at the end. But first, before we jump into what we've been listening to, Chris, it happened. Uh, I went to a gig. Oh, right. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two and a half years I've waited to go for a gig. Well, that, that wasn't yeah. even a gig. That was a concert, right? It was an actual concert. Yeah. yeah. War on Drugs. They were good. Nice. Very good. I won't talk too long about them. They're massively mainstream these days. Um, but um, good. The set was perfect. Absolutely perfect. They even played a couple of songs I didn't think they would. And they didn't do a Bob Dylan cover they've been doing, which is good because I don't massively like Bob Dylan. Um, so it was perfect. The set was exactly what I wanted. The sound was pretty shite overall. But I guess that's what you get. Sit inside of stage right by the speakers. Doesn't mm. help. And um, just the venue was, it was too echoey, too like boomy. And and it just sounded a bit off. I tend to like arena shows or shows in halls, but some are better than others. And this was um, meh. It was okay. Mm. But it was the usual complaints I have with some arenas. Too bass heavy, too drum heavy. Couldn't really hear vocals or lead guitar. You can never hear the lead guitar. So that was a bit of a shame. But never mind. Okay. Otherwise, good. And uh, the Danes, as I already knew, get wasted at any opportunity. But especially if it's a Thursday, because in Denmark, Thursday is called Little Friday. So everyone goes out, gets drunk. And then Friday, everyone's hung over and has a slow day into the weekend. Um, And it was payday. So it was rammed everywhere. It was like a festival in the city centre. Everyone was wasted already at five o'clock when we got there. So um, it was really cool. Had a nice time. Was it Copenhagen? It was in Copenhagen. All right. right. Where two pizzas and two glasses of cider cost like 65 euros. Jesus. (laughs) No, it was good. And uh, this is number one of the gigs coming up. The next gig is in three weeks' time in Malmo, and that is Brian Adams. Oh, right. Because I'm a menopausal woman. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) No, it'd be good. If people shit on Brian Adams too much... It's like one of those times. You hit them the with your purse. Up, well, it's like the family guy. Yeah, I hit them with my purse. <laughs> it's like the family guy episode where they insult Barry Manilow. I don't know if you remember this. No. And they're all sitting around in the clam. And Peter is like, oh, Barry Manilow's in town or whatever. And they're like, oh, I hate him. I hate him. He's rubbish. I mean, he's got, he's got like one good song. Yeah, I mean, Mandy is not terrible. Yeah, the opening's okay. And I guess you can't hate Copacabana. Yeah, if you're in the right mood. Daybreak is a good song. Oh, yeah. That's a good song. And I like Weekend in New England. Yeah, that's a good one. Looks like we made it. Yeah, it's not bad, right? I love Barry Manilow. Oh, my God, he's the best. I have everything he's ever recorded. Me, too. In my car. We have to go to that concert. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's a bit of what Brian Adams is like. It's like you people sit there and shit on him, and then you're like, if it's summer of 69, isn't bad. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, everything I do, I do for you, or whatever, is terrible, but it's also kind of sing-alongy. And then you go around and you're like, oh, actually, he's got a lot of good songs. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is going to be a good gig. Should we talk about what we've been listening to? Yeah. Someone got in touch with us oh, with a yeah. very nice message. And she said, that wasn't just for effect, by the way. I actually have notes on this paper. Man. She said. Dude is rich. He's printing out papers. <laughs> yeah. Who could afford this? Um, <laughs> a physical thing. Um, she said, hi, Ashley and Chris. My name is Vanda Essay. And I'm a musician from Berlin, now based in London. My new single, Tonight, is out on Friday the 11th of March. Yeah, sorry, about a month behind. Uh, see previous episodes about me being on stress leave. And I thought you might be interested in having a listen. I'd be very happy if you could find the track, uh, if the track could find a way onto your podcast. And that song is Tonight. And she was a wonderfully prepared person and uh, actually sent over all of her electronic press kit and stuff with pictures and notes and things, which makes my job a lot easier. So uh, thank you for that. Um, as she said, she's uh, actually raised, I think, in Berlin, but London-based and London-born, released her debut single in 2021, and she's currently a master's student still in London, actually. And uh, so I think it's balancing music along with studying and her previous education was in jazz and pop. So uh, nice. very cool that she got in touch and asked us to have a listen. I'm proud of you, you managed to get me all in. Knowing this was not at all your intention. Stop me trying to get your eyes on me When I see you It's like there's no one else around us in this crowded time to tune in to this one yes uh multiple times because i really like the song oh kick us off then yeah. you go first as we're on a positive and mine's positive too by the way that doesn't mean prep for <laughs> yeah. negativity but you just you wait for ash <laughs> gonna yeah. tear you apart no I, I actually because when the when the first note started i was like oh yeah i love me some good synth pads like this really mellow sound and then the reverberated drums and then an electric piano came in and the, yeah, like really like the, from the, the actual like build up with all the instruments, that's exactly my, my kind of pop that I like. And I like that it gets more funky. Um, so just like, 
I know I want to, I want, because I have a negative thing, but I want to, should I immediately get into it? Because I, I, it's your space to review as you want. Because I don't want to be that asshole again that, like, your yeah, song's good, but because I really like the song. I, re- I really, I really, really like the song. And I hope now what I'm going to say next, I hope, uh, what, Wanda, 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 how, Vanda. 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 I'm sorry if I butchered your name. I don't want her to get this uh, wrong, but I think the vocals need work with tune and a bit of compression. I think the voc- like the vocal production needs more, like, has to be upped a lot to be actually poppy and modern. <laughs> How do you mean? I guess the Ash space is like, ah. No, no, no. I've got something here about vocals too, but it's not that they're necessarily bad. Like, it was more the sound of them and how they come through. But how do you mean? I think like she's such a good singer and the arrangement is so cool and so like fresh because it isn't a, like the regular pop sound thingy that you hear all the time, which is more like EDM-y, I think, but of the, of the funky R&B stuff, right? But still, if you... I think if you want it to be like pop and that's what the what the hashtag says on SoundCloud, it needs mm. to be like a tad overproduced. And the yeah. vo- and she's like she's she's a freaking great singer. Like the harmonies and everything is awesome. But still you can hear it is not tuned. At least it's not hard tuned. And mm. I, I mean it's <laughs> you do you, right? But um if you wanna like do commercial stuff, you need to tune the vocals or you're freaking mm. Adele who, but I dude well I don't know remember last time when we talked about Ukrainian bands we listened to Ginger right mm-hmm. like mm. with the female uh, singer and who's a world class singer just the other day I watched a, a production video of the guy who mixes Ginger albums and mm. when mm. they came to vo- vocals the first uh, thing he says those are tuned like every singer these days is tuned and for someone like me and you who have, I think, very well-trained ears, you can immediately pick up when a vocal is not tuned. If it's a single vocal, it's not that, like, bad is the wrong word, but it's not, like, you don't recognize it as much. But in the chorus of uh, Vanda's song, you can hear when the harmonies stack, you can hear all those micro shifts, like those little pitch shifts. Yeah, yeah. And then it gets obvious that it isn't, in like, 100% in tune. That's what mm-hmm. makes it human. So don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. It's like, it's cool that she can sing so well that it still sounds like an amazingly, like a choir thingy. But I think if like the the commercial money-making pop sound is her goal and her aim, the vocals need to be way more compressed and more in your face and need mm. to be tuned more. Mm. I That's a don't cho- think- like a style mm. choice, right? Uh Totally, and I don't. I don't think you're wrong. And for people who are wondering, vocal tuning isn't necessarily the same as auto tuning. When I first released a song of mine that I was relatively proud of that had a full band done, um, I went into who was sort of mixing it and mastering it, and he was vocal tuning everything, but not by a lot, not enough that you can hear it's a completely different note, and not enough that on first listen or first one run through, you'd be like, "That's out of tune." But it's just really used to smooth out any sort of rough patches, especially when you're going from one note to another. If there's like a sort of slur or step, uh, it's never quite as smooth as a graph like that. 
And it was really cool to watch because it visualizes, well, you know this, but it visualizes all of the vocal changes, all the pitch changes, almost like in a line graph, yeah. which was super cool to see. And then you can really see, actually, where I thought I was being smooth, going like, uh, or whatever, really wasn't as smooth as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's just a process of rubbing that out a little bit. And I agree with you. Uh, that was what I picked up. The vocals are good. They sound good. I think they could just be a little bit more attention to them because they're present enough, but I think they could be a bit more forward somehow. Um, and again, I think it might just be this small vocal tuning rather than auto-tuning. They are completely yeah, yeah, different things. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, we're not talking about like the chair effect. It was kind of like poppy 80s pop. It really built up in a way I didn't think was going to happen. Um, so I liked it overall. Uh, I like the fact that at the beginning is quite sparse, drums, bit of vocals, keys, and it builds up to this sort of more danceable, funky chorus. I thought the ending was slightly empty. There's like a little synth solo that I wish had come mm. through a bit more or had been a bit dirtier, like it could have been a little bit more bitty or like something. But other than that, as you say, more compression on the vocals. Hell Yeah. She should uh, send us more if, if more... Send don't. us more stuff. Yeah. Definitely. And as we say to everyone, thank you for getting in touch. You're super fucking brave to just reach out to two guys, be like, I don't know you, review my song. Yeah. So well done you. We should we should do an interview with her if she wants to. Like, yeah. I bet she got some cool. stories. Maybe she's got some cool stories. Like two capital she's- Wanda. And she's way more hip and younger than us. So she's probably way cooler. Like, so she probably doesn't play it. Pokemon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm still on Pokemon in gold. <laughs> she's like, whoa. <laughs> what else have you been listening to? Oh, uh, you won't believe this, but I actually listened to new music. Hang on. No. Yes, I did. Okay. Let Go me on. let me let me sip my water first. Oh. <laughs> You've got to prepare for this. My a student of mine sent me Poor Man's Poison. Come save us from ourselves, from hell and consequence. Feed the rich and kill the poor, turn out the lights and just ignore what's going on outside. The beating hearts of the depraved, we've turned the people into slaves. They do some, like it's a bit folky but quirky. And uh, I think they have a mandolin and an acoustic guitar, probably an upright bass, and a drum set. So it must be a four-piece band. Uh, mm. And like the first song on the album Providence is called Providence, and man, that's a cool song. Like that wants me mm. to punch a dude in the teeth in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I did get sort of drinking song vibes from it. And I mean, that's a good thing, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The album has like, uh, has uh, quieter songs as well. And the weird thing, because when the singer is like, when he's really going for it, he has this raspy thing going on. But when he's Mm -hmm. quieter, I think he sounds like Michael Buble sometimes. Wow. And I, and when like Melly and I, we were, what were we doing? Oh yeah, we were we were we were uh, solving a puzzle, like an actual puzzle, and we listened to the album, and I was like, he sounds like Michael Bublé, and she's oh yeah, I thought the same. 
So wow, yeah, and I like Michael. That's Bublé. a cool. Well, I mean, that's a cool compliment as well, man. Jesus. Uh, yeah, uh, but I, I, the thing with like because Portman's Poison are a band that like they are a songwriting band, right? Uh, hmm. They don't change up uh, their instrumentation a lot. Every every song is played by the band with with uh, their respective instruments, and like I'm more of a of a sound guy. Uh, I want to hear like different synths and different guitar pedals and whatnot. So my issue, quote unquote, with uh, with this band is that I get tired of it after after one listen, like after one listen of the album. Uh, the, the same reason why I don't enjoy singer-songwriter stuff. Because to me, I, of course you can write different chord progressions and everything, but still, a dude with a guitar will still sound like a dude with a guitar five songs later. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I need to be in a certain mood for for these ac- acoustic-oriented bands. But I still like the title track, Providence from Pullman's Poison. I've listened to that shit uh, on repeat. It was at this point, Chris's microphone decided to shit itself. This is a recurring problem during this episode. Chris explains here that he has been listening to Plur Alone, the pseudonym of ex-Red Hot Chili Peppers member and multi-instrumentalist and songwriter Josh Klinghoffer. Everything is like more of the quiet, quiet side, so no real rock, heavy hidden rock songs. But um, mm. like ear candy, you can pick out. Oh, there's cool filter sweep over here on the like pan to the left, and there's a weird distorted vocal here, and yeah, that's more. That's more uh, how I li- <laughs> like my albums to be. Mm, mm, mm. And I loved his work with his other uh, other band, um, Dot Hacker. Have you heard? Of Never them? heard of them. Uh, the song C Section is is awesome. Like that's uh, what I f- uh, when I first uh, heard of Klinghoffer, I checked this out. That's a great song. You can link that in, in there as well. From hang on, mm. I added to the thingy. Ah, I'm fucking everything up. C uh, <laughs> Section. They have a great bassist in there. Um, oh God, I forgot his name now. Ah, I, I remember. We're live editing a script as we're going along, by the way. Yeah, which is never, never cool. <laughs> works great. <laughs> What's his name? Jonathan Hishke. Yeah, great bassist. Uh, also a bassist who is also into using pedals and shit, and never gets boring. Uh, so yeah, mm. I'm a I'm a fan of Klinghoffer. I know a lot of Chili Peppers fans nice. aren't. But I don't care. I know better than them. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your opinion, but mine's right. So <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, I've these days you to... can disagree with science, right? So Exactly. <laughs> I know I've never listened to anyone you've brought up this time. The Providence song I did listen to, and I share your thoughts on it. It, it first off started a bit like, I was like, is this Dropkick Murphys or something? What's yeah. going on? But... um. And then I realized it wasn't. But 
I agree with you on that. Um, there was another band I really liked a little while back who I've stopped following. I don't even know if they're still around, called Banditos. And they were similar sort of music, actually, to what you described here with um, Poor Man's Poison. This kind of barroom brawl. Yeah. Um, folk rock you know like it was really cool um but i had a similar problem with them in that one song was fine two was good three was okay more than that in a row and i was just like oh it all sounds the same yeah a little bit now um so i used to have to listen to it in different sittings like pick one or two songs not listen to them for a couple of days come back and pick the next two like it was a bit odd like i think i feel like it gets a bit samey i have one more song that i've been listening to and it's going to lead us beautifully into the next segment. Ooh. I kid you not. Son of a Pixel is what they're called, <laughs> this band. I'm not even sure who they are, and uh, gotta be honest with you, I caught it really, really uh, late in this week when I was uh, preparing the script, and I think they're based in Copenhagen, and they describe themselves as a Nintendo Electronics progressive metal band. Nice. Uh, Six-track EP that they did, and uh, they released a new song that was shared on the Musicians in Malmö Facebook group. So I started having a listen to that, and it's called Bug Fix. I'm not sure if I like it or if I don't, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm not sure if it's a joke um, or if it's actually serious, and this is their style of music. As I say, I haven't had a chance to check out too much more of them, so I I haven't made judgment on it yet. It's, It's kind of like somebody took an 8-bit Super Mario soundtrack, mixed it with Weird Al Yankovic and a little bit of sort of new metal influence. Hmm. It's kind of, it's really strange, but it's certainly unique and uh, not my sort of thing, to be honest. And again, I'm still not sure if it's a joke or not. Um, Maybe it is, or maybe it's not, and I've just insulted them. But I like how it's at least a song that I think nerds will appreciate and there were some references in there where i was like oh being a nerd is cool like and i kind of like that so certainly skilled certainly cool certainly different not my sort of thing but still glad i stumbled across it actually and uh they're called son of a pixel danish project and that leads us beautifully into 8-bit wonderland where we talk about soundtracks from computer games that we love hit it you're going to say that every time there's a jingle. Yeah. You? <laughs> I'm a DJ, bro.
you can go first, I think, this time, because you've put quite a lot of effort into this one. And uh, Did I? it's a soundtrack. Well, it's a game, I know, but you've sourced TED Talks and loads of other stuff. So uh, you've, gone, you've gone full on research on this one. So it's a game I know, and it's a sort of uh, franchise I know, but a soundtrack I don't. So what have you gone for? Okay. Uh, I picked the 2016. Uh, like that reissue, but I picked Doom, the 2016 version. Uh, a reboot, I think, is the right word. The Doom Slayer. I might have talked about Doom in a uh, in a past episode, I think. Um, so the cool thing is, like the original Doom is really old, and I never got to play it. I th- I don't even know. I think it was released in the early '90s, so that would make me five years old, four years old, and I didn't play Doom then. I played Super Mario, <laughs> and. Like the the soundtrack to the original Doom was MIDI based, um, yeah, and they actually like they they copied a lot of metal riffs back back then. Um, the most famous one is uh, E1M1, I think, is um, the the Doom like is actually stolen from Master of Puppets from Metallica. Like the riff is really mm. similar, and there are other uh, Doom soundtrack pieces that like reference Slayer and everything. So like they have their roots in metal, and mm. like there have been a couple of Doom games over the decades. Doom Two, Doom Three was more of a horror game, I think. I've never like I've never been into shooter games really until this one got released, and I only like got into it because of the soundtrack. Again, the microphone went on strike. Chris states that the composer, Mike Gordon, was given a very short brief by the game developer. They wanted metal music, but they did not like guitars, and they wanted it to remain true to the original Doom sound. Chris then mentions how there is a TED talk by the composer, which is worth checking out, and is in the text for this episode. Actually, a cool guy has a tattooed arm and everything. Like, he's just a metalhead. Mm. And mm. he started to pick apart the old Doom soundtracks and everything. And eventually they went for guitars again. And he like he recycled original riffs like the E1M1, but mm. played them on a nine-string guitar and deconstructed ah. the riff and made it slower and everything. And they went to... S- through so much production tools like they bought old 80s soviet synthesizers that nobody could like decipher what they were actually saying on the labels and put them through like chains of effects and processing units i think there's one part where he's actually talking about building a microphone amplifier chain that gets split into four signals 
that get feedback into each other. And they actually, do you know these like these little martial amps that you can put on your belt if you're like walking mm -hmm. around? What? Yeah, yeah, like I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, they're like 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 a hand high. I have one actually uh, standing in in, in in my bathroom. And and like they use those amps and put microphones in front of them, like refeed the signal back into another distortion pedal. So when everything is quiet, the sound slowly builds up again into a massive feedback. And yeah, they they really they manage to create a completely new sound with, of course, elements from metal and gent and all those modern uh, genres. And yeah, just for everyone who's interested, put on uh, "Rip and Tear." It's one of the most well-known songs of 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 this game, and it's just it will blow your face off. It's so it's so heavy and so. I mean, the whole game is so quick paced, like so fast paced. You just, you you never reload. You just walk through areas and slay demons. You're the demon slayer, right? Mm, 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 um, mm. It's just, there's nothing more masculine than running through a spaceship with nine string guitars, smashing your eardrums in while you rip off the heads of aliens. <laughs> it's so over mm, the mm. top, so gory mm, and mm, violent. Mm. And it's, but it's still self-aware. Like the game is really self-aware. I think the intro sequence is so funny because you're like the Doomslayer gets released from his prison and rides up an elevator, and like a computer voice is telling him what he has to do and everything, and he just smashes it, smashes it's in because he doesn't want to hear that shit. And when he cocks <laughs> the first time the shotgun, like it actually is put on the beat of the. Of the soundtrack and everything, so it it really knows what it's doing. The game, good, good one. Yeah, I've gone, f I've gone for something completely different, but um, great nonetheless. Oh, it's a beautiful soundtrack, and um, it's been remastered uh, for. It was remastered, I think, for PlayStation Four, right, or PlayStation in two thousand eighteen or nineteen, and so they re-recorded a lot of. Um, the tracks what for the thing I'm just about to say, and you can buy it on vinyl um, now, which I need to look at in a minute because I would like to waste money on this. Yeah. Um, Shadow of the Colossus. Original PlayStation 2 game that came out in 2005, and um, it remains one of my favorite games ever. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of legendary and it's very simple in its construction. You just walk around an empty land slaying massive monsters, and um, that's really all you do. There's nothing in between. You can eat some fruit uh, to make your 
life sort of statistic go up a little bit. But that's about it. You just ride a horse, Agra. find the next mo- Yeah, Agra! Agra! <laughs> the horse. Yeah, well, that was fucking annoying, that bit. But um, you find the horse, hold up your short sword, and uh, it shines a light as to where the next location of the next boss is. They wanted it to be like a series of boss battles. Yeah. But this game is... Um, it could definitely do more in the uh, land, and I think nowadays they probably would flesh out the land if you made a new game like this a bit to have more stuff in the middle, just even some more wildlife or something might be nice. But it's still very, very cool. And it's one of the first games that I had a semi-existential crisis, I think, playing when I was like 16 years old, where I was kind of like, I don't want to kill these big monsters. Like, they're kind of nice and huge and you're kind of annoying to them. Like, why do I want to? Except for that small some... fucker in the temple that tries to which one the the the, 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 the looks like a frog the thing oh yeah that one's annoying the, yeah. the one that's kind of like a bull is the worst one I hate that one so much we have to scare him with fire and he falls down all right yeah. oh, that took me so long to work that out as well that you have to set a stick on fire and scare him with it yeah oh, it frustrated the hell out of me um anyway the soundtrack to that is fantastic and um I, i yeah i don't really know what else to say about it quite honestly it's by a guy called kao atani he's a pianist a japanese pianist and composer and this is by far his most famous work i was looking at other stuff he's done and i've definitely never heard of it and some of it i don't think anyone has it was more smaller stuff but he's done some animation soundtracks and manga and stuff like that but He um, is really, really cool. And there's a little uh, interview with him from a few years ago when this was re-released on the PlayStation 4 for its remaster. And um, it's really worth watching, only sort of four minutes long. Um, really cool. Uh, the point of Shadow of the Colossus, seen as it is so simple and it's dynamic, which is walk around place, find boss, kill boss, move on. You really only need music in a few settings when you're approaching the battle, when you're in battle and after the battle. So some of the motifs and some of the clips get a little repetitive. However, um, there was still a big challenge in this, even though you only really want sort of musical clips, really. You don't really want a full soundtrack per se. And there were still big challenges in this because the land that you play in isn't, known. You don't actually know where it is. They speak a language that's completely made up. Um, they invented like a whole language for it. Um, so you don't actually, it's, it's not tied to anywhere. It kind of looks like it could be in China, but also Japan, but also Australia, but also the UK. It's kind of weird. Um, and I love that. So for it, they, he was actually briefed by the game designers that he has to write a soundtrack that can't sound like it's taken influence from any country ever. So it can't be sort of American military sounding, it can't be Middle Eastern, it can't be whatever. And so what he did was blend some of those things together. So it does have a sort of military presence. There's a lot of horns and a lot of um, strings, big swelling strings. And I think some of the songs, if you put them in Medal of Honor, or something, you wouldn't actually tell any different. It's kind of got this military feel to it. Um, but at the same time, it's then blended with 
bizarre sort of what's the best word for it? I guess ethnic sort of instruments mm. to a particular country. So the bazooki, which is like a sort of mandolin sounding guitar, uh, which is Greek, I think. Um, so that's kind of got a real central presence in this. And then the strings, obviously everyone knows what strings sound like, but they're played in a weird way and they sort of lull in and out. And it's kind of cool how they're done. Um, a few of the best tracks, the prologue is the best one, I would say. There's another one called The Opened Way. It's the one a lot of people remember. That's really good. like that one the most. Or oh, maybe it's called Revive Power. One of the two. Anyway. Definitely check it out. And if you've never played Shadow of the Colossus, please do. It is an absolutely wonderful game, super influential. And people today, what's this now? We're getting on for 20 years after its release, are still going through the game code looking for secret, um, uh, secret colossi. Yeah. And people have found code for ones that should have been in it and they've recreated them. It's it's really cool, actually. So I have a friend who is like a massive fan of the game. Uh, bought the original back then and uh, loved it so much that he basically basically talks whenever he can. <laughs> I actually got him a poster once from one of those uh, like QWERTY sites where you can buy t-shirts and such. And I really <laughs> appreciated it. It was pretty cool. And I never got to play the original. I always heard about it and I bought myself the remaster. So I went uh, into it with no prior knowledge other than, yeah, you have to kill like huge guys. And that's, mm. that's about mm. it. And I really liked it. But I here's the thing. Some of those games, like classics, I think they can only really be appreciated when you play them when they actually got released um because i uh, because i like the original uh, like the the remaster i really enjoyed it i like i like the game but i think and i know that because i played final fantasy 7 and ocarina of time and majora's mask when they originally were released shit hits you different a when you're younger yeah. and b when you don't have as much referential material to other more modern things. You know what I mean? Mm, mm, I know what you mean. And like, For sure. those are like the uh, the three, four games I think of whenever I talk to people about you have to, you have to be there in that moment in time when the, the stuff came, comes out. I think the original Star Wars must have been like mind blowing when it got released in, mm, back in the mm, what is it, mm. is it 70s, late 70s, or early 80s? What? Yeah, yeah, 70s was the first one. 
Yeah, so I think like older stuff, you really cannot appreciate as much uh, if you just see it for the first time. Uh, mm, mm. Yeah, and that, yeah, and I guess that that's true. Like Shadow of the Colossus, I haven't played the remaster, but I'm pretty sure if I go back to it today, I'm still going to love it. But that's because I'm hanging on to how I felt the first time. Mm. If I come at it blind, there are certain things about it that are dated. The controls are still fiddly as far. <laughs> it's not fun. Um, and you just expect more from a game these days, some of it. So th- I think there are very few that actually stand the test of time and they're still fantastic games. I think Ocarina of Time is probably one. Um, I think if you play that in 100 years, it's still going to be good. The graphics will be awful, but there's still challenges. There's still things. I mean, it really broke the mold for some sort of open world kind of game. And that probably is my favorite game ever. And I think there are some that will be like that, like timeless. But I get what you mean. You don't quite feel the hype, I guess, mm. quite as much. Um, although, as I say, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, I think I've played it 26 times. I've completed it now. <laughs> Love that game. It's one. It never gets boring, except the water temple. That can fuck yeah, off. Yeah, everybody hates the but. fucking one. Do, uh, I have, the, um, I have the, the remake, the 3D, Nintendo 3DS version. And they uh-huh. actually made the water temple easier. Yeah, because it's ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> I played the original yeah. again, and and then you, you get the master quest version, which has oh, more stuff. Oh man, yeah. And it was it was impossible. I was like, I had to look it up online, like how to do it, because and I still and I've played the master quest version at least five times, at least, and I still have to look up how to do it. Because I'm like, this is such a poorly designed dungeon. Yeah. Like, it's crap. Yeah. So, yeah, I hate it. <laughs> and the thing, one thing in Zelda, now we've taken a tangent to Zelda, there's one thing that haunts my nightmares in Zelda, and that is the creature, I think they're called the Lick Lick. Oh, yeah. The thing in, the, in the well, right? Oh, Neil, yeah, oh, this thing. Yeah. It, that, like, it steals your shield and your rupees. That throbs and sucks you off. No, man, the wor- the worst thing is the is the dude in the in the well with the hands that come out from the from the ground and he has like this grinning face and this long neck and he bites your your head off. Oh he yeah, that's so the bottom of the well yeah. and the now we've gone Zelda talk, <laughs> but some people out there will love this. The bottom of the well and the shadow temple are really dark. Yeah. yeah. Like mega dark. The whole game is kind of like, oh, there's a bit of darkness, but it bumps along. You know, it's kind of this fantasy adventure. And then those two temples, or dungeons, I should say, one's a temple. Um, there's blood, there's knives. Torture chambers. There's like torture chambers. There's that weird hand thing. Yeah. Ugh. The hand thing it just makes me laugh, though, because his smile is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's it like a fucking joker. And it's so easy to kill because all you need to do is be grabbed by the hand, then slice it, yeah. you're done. Like, pretty easy. That and the wall masters used to oh. scare me. The hands, you can hear them go, yeah, yeah. To and look they up drop and- on you. <laughs> oh, I hate them. They, they were awful. They still scare me when I'm running around. I'm like, yeah. I hate these things. Dude, but- Those and the tentacles from Half-Life haunt my brain tentacles? still. Oh right, right, the right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Half Life that pull you up and they go <laughs> try to eat you. Oh my god, they still give me like nightmares. Dude, but although I mean the Shadow Temple it, itself is like creepy, but I think the worst soundtrack, uh, like a piece of music in Ocarina of Time, must be the Wood Temple. 
Oh, that's cool. That shit, that, like, it sounds like someone is going horrifying. mad. time this one i remember i spent so long trying to get into the forest temple because yeah. i didn't realize you had to climb up the vine on the side and no, you need the hook shot. so frustrating you need the hook shot exactly yeah. now we've gone into zelda talk uh eight bit wonderland for this time yeah. now we're going to talk drums hit me with your rhythm stick chris yes that sounded weird and i like it so it's a song you know that song right no hit me with your rhythm stick Seventies must be wild still. <laughs> A lot of cocaine. Yeah. Okay. So drums. Um you need before we start, uh you need to tag when you upload the episode, uh, you need to tag uh, Chance from Heavy Heavy in the comments, please. Because he messaged me. I'll get back to that uh, later. So yeah, we recorded drums for the new album. And huh, where should I start? So drums these days are so processed that oftentimes you don't like recognize them as acoustic drums. Uh, at first because they get augmented or they get programmed altogether like lots of because it saves a lot of time to just use samples for drum tracks uh, that you can edit later and change the sound and whatever but still in my opinion you will never get the same feel and the same sound uh, as if you had a real drummer play in a room to a track and because the challenge that you have with recording real drums is that you, of course, use a buttload of microphones depending on the room size and the size of the drum kit and whatever. And all those microphones basically pick up everything. So in, a, in an ideal world, the snare microphone would not pick up anything besides the snare drum. But that's not how physics work and acoustics so you can hear the hi-hat through the snare mic, you can hear the kick drum through the snare mic, and you can hear the friggin' toms through the snare, snare mic. And if the producer, so me in that case, sneezes during the recording pr process, you can hear the sneeze through <laughs> the snare mic. Mm, mm. And that phenomenon is called mic bleed. And mm. uh, To get rid of that bleed is a challenge in itself. Sometimes you cannot do so, uh, other times you don't want to because it makes it sound more like a whole instrument. It makes it sound more authentic. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. right. And you generally generally um, differentiate between close mics and room mics or overhead mics. So close mics are the microphones that will be placed uh, almost on top of the 
um, like the drums, the toms, the snare, the kick, and the cymbals are like really close to the cymbals. And then there are the overhead mics, like two microphones way above the drum set that will pick up most of the cymbals and of course the snare drum. And if you can, you can also add room microphones that pick up, of course, the room and like the from a from further away the whole drum set and depending on the size of your uh, room and your mixing board and your wallet you can add, add different room mics so you can place a single room mic a mono mic or you can place a close mono mic and a far mono mic and then you can add stereo room mics close far whatever so basically there are no limits to miking drums and that's what makes mm -hmm. it so cool and fun but also um frustrating <laughs> at times mm, mm, mm. Uh, lots of people in order to avoid this shit um turn to drum samples that get recorded by punching just one drum at a time and then doing it for i don't know how many times to have different variations and different um velocities and it's just much easier and quicker to program them on a computer. So here goes the kick and there goes the snare. And let's copy that. And there's the beat. And that's it. But like I said earlier, uh, to come full circle, I don't think you can get the same feel as, a, an, an, act, as an actual person who plays. Because mm, there is mm, something mm. we call groove. <laughs> and that that is uh, groove like gets created by not being on t in time like uh absolutely a hundred percent like a computer would like drums are very 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 processed and what i mean by that is you when you record a microphone can be a vocal can be a guitar can be whatever you add a bunch of digital stuff onto it or can be analog hardware like like basically effects pedals for microphones and to the most common uh, effects would be equalization and compression and maybe a gate okay cool so what i've prepared for today is i uh, will show the rough drum tracks like no processing as at all on there just how the microphones recorded everything then i will show a version where i use gen um, like basic processing such as equalizations to exaggerate or lower certain certain frequencies and compression to control dynamics and then i will showcase a third version uh, where i added a bit of extra reverb and samples to augment the sound so the first one is rough where no processing as all at all just like the basic microphones and that will be let me see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve microphones at once Okay, so much, much as you would expect it to hear, like you can hear quite a lot of like mic bleed in the background and stuff, but but it's pretty clear, pretty pretty in your face, but it's it is rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nothing at all on there. Okay, next up is the mixed ver ver the version where I, like I said, I added uh, a bit of processing, some equalization, some compression. I panned the microphones left and right whenever I needed to, and that's that. clearer 
high hat or whatever it is there. Yeah. And the snare is much more tidy. Yeah. No. <laughs> way, way less sort of reverby and loose. Yeah. Like much, much, much cleaner, tighter. Right. And that, like I said, there's no, like, there's no magic in there. You can even, well, I'll get back to the, to our room later, but um, you can do quite a lot with not super optimal drum recordings if you know how to tidy everything up. Manipulate. Manipulate. <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay. And the last version, uh, what I would consider for now as a quote-unquote finished ver version for just drum sounds would be with added samples and um, a tad of reverb on there. Much more present. And I know that sounds really weird, but like much more... Much more as you would expect drums to actually sound live when they don't sound like that at all. But you, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of more what you're used to and uh, crisper. Yeah. Without a doubt. Because, uh, like I said, you need to mention chance for, for the next part. Uh, because we, uh, when we started recording, we did an Instagram story and everything. So today's drum recording and everything. And he was like hitting us up per DM, like, yeah, y'all dudes are super brave to record in, in, in the rehearsal room. Like, in the, he thought we were recording at Rock House, but it's just another shitty Berlin Plattenbau uh, where our rehearsal space is. And he was referring to, I think, a recording in subpar rooms is oftentimes like it doesn't help the the end product because mm. you need to tidy up uh, weird frequencies and let's just say the actual room where you record an instrument is apart from the source the most important aspect. Like I think many people like producers would agree the source is the most important thing. So tune your fucking guitar. Then mm. play it in a room that isn't too roomy or too dead, and then then play it good. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, also helps, and then the microphone and whatever, like the the equipment comes. Um, so recording drums in a room that is uh, can be a bit of an extra challenge. Mm, and mm. um I, I i was i was like um dude i'll uh, chat to ash about this stuff uh, so i will i will mention you in the comments <laughs> so he, he, he can listen to the he can listen to the drum sound <laughs> and let me know if he if he likes what i what i did to them okay so let's give a listen to the rough thingies again just quick i just to show a bit of how the mic bleed actually works. So everybody can hear like the kick drum. Yes, yeah, the main focus of the recording, but you can still hear the cymbals and the same goes for the snare drum. Like there's a shit ton, shit ton of, of cymbals all over the snare and you need to gate that out. That means that you like cut, cut off slowly the end of each hit to make the cymbal disappear in the other recordings. And we have the overhead mics where everything can be heard. And a room mic. Yeah. So the cool thing, I think, is that, like I said, even with a... So people don't... Hang on, let me start over again. Um, when I started to produce, I was really afraid of mixing drums. 
because it's such a huge undertaking to mix several mics at once and you don't know how to get rid of the bleed and the the I mean samples are cool, right? And they're so cheap these days. Like the best samples for my ears for rock and metal and I think a lot of people will agree are the get good drum samples. Like they sound so freakingly good. They're high end samples and super affordable. Like whenever there's a sale going on, you can purchase like a full, fully sampled drum kit that has been used by Periphery for their album recordings for 70 bucks. Mm-hmm. And as a regular bedroom producer, you aren't you simply aren't able to get the same results with the take like the technical stuff you have around you, right? You need a bigger studio mm-hmm. and perfectly tuned drums and preamps and whatever and post-processing. So getting used to the samples and how they sound makes it actually even harder to then switch over to your own drum recordings because as mm. everybody heard, the rough sounds are arguably terrible. Mm, mm. It just sounds, like you said, it sounds roomy. It sounds like weird frequency all over, over the place. It can actually, if you're really listening close to it, you can hear like the hi-hat has a really weird under there yeah this really weird like buzz it's kind of strange yeah 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 and if you buy a sample pack especially a high quality one you will never hear stuff like that anywhere because they of course they curate their like their their choice of symbols and choice of drums and i don't want to know how many hours hours it takes to to curate a a sample pack that can then be purchased like commercially you know but. Of course, like like I said, if you know how to work your way around some of the stuff, you can actually, and that's where the like the second um, example of mine came in. You can even in a shitty room, you can get some good sounds out of your drums. And yeah, we actually purchased some real good microphones, like the the mic I'm using right now to speak through the um, Shure SM7B. That's the main snare mic uh, every time because mm. it has a, a good rejection to, uh, to the sides. You don't hear as much hi hat as you would with a regular SM57. And our Tom mic is the MD421, uh, which has been used for decades by everyone for Toms. So we put a lot of money in there, and it helps. But still, if the room isn't as good. And sometimes it's just, mm. sometimes it, sh- it sounds just weird, like for whatever reason. You can have the best room sound ever and still some things don't just fit. Mm. Like mm. can be a poor mm. mic choice, can be a poor mic position. Do we, one time even had like the, th- the thing with the MD421 for Tom's. It has a, a switchable filter at the bottom. And if that's fully on, you have a low cut and you don't want to low cut your drums because that's where they actually shine. Yeah. So yeah, that recording was ass and we had to replace <laughs> the whole Tom by, with a sample. <clears throat> and yeah, like the, the third example where I augmented all the sounds with samples, that's actually for me, that's the like the sound that I want for, for my recordings these days. I don't want to like sample replace everything mm, mm. that makes it sound weird again because you like samples do have like this these velocity layers where a softer hit sounds softer and a harder hit sounds harder but so you will never have the same dynamic feel of an actual drummer 
and just mm, mm. pushing slightly like your high quality samples underneath a well mixed snare of your own that's where it gets like okay this is the sound we actually want of course my mm, my mm. drums and mixes will not sound like a recording in abbey road <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Uh, especially because i haven't like my experience with mixing is now i think five to six years so i probably in five years time i will listen to this episode again and jesus christ what the hell did i do with these drums why do they sound so terrible <laughs> but uh yeah i think for the stuff we purchased and the choice of drums and the room we have it sounds pretty decent now mm, and mm. Of, it, of course it's a, a, another different whole nother story once all the other instruments have been layered in there as well because you need to make certain choices that frequencies don't mask each other so this, mm. uh, the kick drum and the bass, they fight for the bass frequencies and the cymbals and the high like pads and synths have the same space uh, where they belong frequency-wise. The guitars and the snare drum and some of the, high, uh, the lower cymbals and the vo vocals. So you have to you build a perfectly fine drum sound uh, once you soloed everything and then you add the other instruments and suddenly your drum sounds shit again so mm, mm. yeah i think that that's what that's what like people don't understand maybe about music and what i still forget even sometimes because i don't mix my music but making music really is like a a um a kind of competition for frequency bandwidth <laughs> like, after a while once you start adding more stuff in and it really is and um you think you learn that pretty quickly but it's something to always keep in mind because things do cross over and sort of bleed into each other's band a bit and it's like a constant struggle to balance that out yeah yeah so yeah um what i wanted to like uh end with with this whole thingy here is that in rock and metal tracks, drums never sound like they actually were recorded. <laughs> what are we ended on this week? There's an island playlist. Yeah. On a, there's an island on a beach somewhere. It's all lovely. What are we uh, listening to while we're stuck there? Should I? Who's starting? I can start. I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, you I'll go. Start. You go. Not very relaxing song. Uh, Feeder, if anyone remembers Feeder, British uh, sort of new metal band from the early 2000s and 90s, 2000s. One of the first bands I ever got into, I think it was only about seven when I got into them, so that was cool. Um, they did a song called Come Back Around. I really like it. Quite easy, drop D, playing stuff, but the guitar in the break in the middle sounds nasty. I think it's actually just the guitar and the bass playing exactly the same thing with a shit ton of effects on there, but it sounds really good. band who I got into through computer games actually uh, Gran Turismo nice 
the old PlayStation game. Whoever made that loved Feeder because there were a lot of Feeder tracks in that. So very much of its time, but it's certainly a song I would have on my end of the world desert island playlist. Nice. Okay. You're going to love mine. <laughs> Go on. Go ahead. I'm picking Rihanna's Umbrella. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's not a terrible track, and there's been plenty of good versions of it, but why yeah. for the Desert Island? I love it so much, I don't know. I, I really, I, huh, I don't know if it has something to do. No, I actually liked the song before that. I met my first girlfriend to that song, but I, I loved the song before it, and I don't have so many good memories about sad girlfriends, so, <laughs> but didn't make the song any worse for me. Um, yeah, I'm not going to shit on Rihanna, but uh, I'm surprised by the song choice. Yeah, but my, I'm not my girl Riri. This Desert Island playlist is random. Porcupine right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tree, Soundgarden, some computer game music. Uh, it's a bit nuts, but I like it. Yeah. On the next episode, we're going to have Annalisa Lombardo is here. She's a voice actress, uh, vocalist, singer songwriter based in uh, Berlin by way of, I think, Rome. Uh, I can't quite remember. She came to uh, the gig I did with Molly's Peck a little while ago and uh, told me that I have a really good voice and there was nothing she could do. So I want to officially announce that we have got our first deaf guest on um, BPM. Because <laughs> that's, that's, she must be. Uh, so she, she will be here to talk all things music cool. and vocal training. So that'll be fun. Otherwise, thank you very much for this. And uh, stay safe, everybody. <laughs>